This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. Time for the Mayor's Town Hall. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger, of course, joins us, and uh, we will open the lines up for your phone calls for the mayor in just a couple of minutes. You know the numbers, 905-645-3221, star 9900. It's toll-free for you. Uh, emails, yeah, we can take emails here, bkelly at 900chml.com. And, of course, uh, on Twitter, at CHML Bill Kelly. Your questions, your comments for Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Uh, he's with us for the hour, and we'll go to your calls and uh, your questions and your comments about what's happening in the city of Hamilton in just a couple of minutes. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you here. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, you, uh, you're just a couple of minutes late getting in here. You're probably just gazing upon the Christmas tree outside of City Hall. It looks nice this year. Oh, it looks fabulous. And uh, the skating <laughs> rink, uh, you know, is, I think is over on Saturday, but it's been, uh, you know, well used. Just Art- soon artificial... the start finally gets cold and you're going to Yeah, well, <laughs> unfortunately, it's a very expensive item to yeah. have there. And uh, it, uh, so we were able to afford it for, uh, for at least a good week. And uh, thanks to CHML, uh, you know, each and every year, uh, tr- Christmas Tree of Hope, 40th anniversary, and uh, lots of uh, lots of folks in our community get benefit from uh, the monies you raise and the gifts you raise, so uh, kudos to CHML for all of that effort. Well, uh, City of Hamilton, of course, is a big supporter of that, too. I, I've always liked this. I was driving by there. Actually, I had to go by City Hall twice yesterday as I was going back and forth around town here. Uh, that's a huge forecourt at City Hall, and and I, and I don't think it ever does get used effectively. I mean, there are rallies there from time to time, and if the Tiger Cats ever win another Grey Cup, we'll, we'll certainly <laughs> do something there, I'm sure, again, once again. But uh, that's that's the way City Hall should look around Christmas time. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, I, you know, I, it, it's always a bit of a, a yin and yang between York Park. So one of the, one of the main purposes of having uh, having a Christmas or a, a Christmas Santa Claus parade and having uh, you know the Gore Park lit up was to to attract people to come in and participate in the business community down there. So do some shopping while you're there, which is hard to do from City Hall. But so we'll have a we'll have a debate, I'm sure, uh, next year. I know that some were in favor of keeping it keeping the Christmas display at City Hall, but I'm sure that the international BIA and the BIA down there would say, you know what, uh, you know what, we would like to drive people uh, down down to where we are and all of the shops that are here, so that people can, uh, you know, support their local businesses, and uh, it it certainly draws a crowd. So from from the event that we had in front of City Hall, we did do a shout out to the to the international village uh, BIA. They were doing a Christmas event that night as well, and they had about 700 people come down and uh, enjoy the carriage ride and the cider. And, and and some of the shopping that mm-hmm. uh, that is available to them there. So we'll have that debate, I'm sure. But it looks fat, fabulous. Uh, Christmas is always a wonderful time of year, and I think uh, to have the city hall dressed up and more used and the forecourt, as you point out, is uh, is always a plus. By the way, somebody asked me the other day, and I wanted. I said I'll, I'll get the mayor coming on this week. I'll ask him, what are you doing with the old football hall of fame building? Uh, that's so. So temporarily, that is going to be a uh, joint effort between Mohawk, McMaster, and Redeemer College and the City of Hamilton to create City Lab, which is all about urban research. So we're going to actually get some of the brightest students that they've got and uh, get them to look at some of the bigger challenges that we're facing uh, in the city of Hamilton and do research for about three years. So in the interim, uh, you know, we don't have a particular use for the building right now. So as we're planning that out, we're going to have an interim use uh, of, of this kind, which I think is brilliant. I think it's a fabulous opportunity for us to engage uh, some of the brightest minds in, uh, in our universities and colleges and put them to, uh, to work uh, looking at some of the issues that we're, we're having challenges with. And uh, use all the available data out there, which uh, uh, we talked about often. Data mm-hmm. is the new, you know, biggest resource that we have, and uh, come up with some informed, uh, you know, ideas about how we can improve our decision making based on that. And then, in, and down the road, we'll look at what the future use of that building will be. 
There was a discussion yesterday. We're going to get into this more in depth on our program later on. But I just wanted to get your thoughts about this uh, this concept of the living wage, yep. especially when it comes to to the city employees. Yeah, I, you know, you know what? Uh, we talk a lot about poverty. We talk a lot about uh, you know one in five kids in our community at or below the poverty line. Obviously, their parents are uh, you know in in that uh, in that circumstance and uh, and precarious employment, which seems to be growing. A lot of part time work without benefits and uh, without. You know, a, 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 at least a minimum standard of uh, of uh, you know, dollars that would actually allow them to to participate in our society. So, a minimum or the the living wage is really about setting a number that actually uh, provides people the opportunity to actually pay their rent, get decent food, and not be in in the, totally into the social service system. So, I, I think it's a cost saving measure from my perspective. And you know, we have uh, all of our city employees, full time employees, are living wage and, and above. Uh, we have part-time employees that are not. And, you know, and, and when you look at precarious employment, I mean, a lot of it is now many people have to have two or three or four, you know, or more jobs to be able to uh, to survive in this society today because many, many corporations, companies are, are you know, doing part-time, part-time employment uh, at minimum wage uh, without any benefits. And so to overcome that, let's at least set a living wage policy for the city that addresses that, and then ho- hopefully that will encourage others to look at that uh, participation as well. And then we can forestall, you know, for a lot of people, we can pull them out of poverty. Well, that's because I know that some of the comments around the table yesterday was, well, can, can the city afford to do this? I think the question is, can they afford not to? Because uh, there are there are spinoff costs by not doing this too. Right. People are going to rely on social services, uh, rent subsidies, things of that nature. If you don't do this, uh, yeah, and, that, and that's kind of the test that we've asked Joanne Priel to come back to us with is <clears throat> show us so is the economic multiplier that comes out of this, the the spillover effect into the economy for starters. And if we fail to do that, show us what the additional costs will be for social services and all the things that you've j- just talked about. So this is an investment that actually has a return, and um, I think. I think investing in our people, I think, is important. And for the city of Hamilton, uh, we need to be walking the talk. So if we're going to be concerning ourselves with poverty, and we are, and we have numbers of different programs to help, and we've got the the larger $50 million effort uh, that we've yet to map out in terms of how we're going to utilize those dollars, uh, if we're going to do that, then uh, we need to take every step possible to help people out of poverty. And that's good for our economy, that's good for our community, and that's good for the very people that we are serving that, uh, that need to be participants in our society. Our, our number, 905-645-3221, 645-3221, star 9900. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is here to answer your calls and your questions. Uh, we'll go to your calls in just a couple of seconds, but you can call right now and get into the queue. Uh, for your turn to talk to Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger, email bkelly at 900chml.com and on Twitter at chmlbillkelly. Gail calls or checks in on email. Uh, says, if Toronto is uh, given the permission to do road tolls on the Gardner and the DVP, will Hamilton ask to do the same thing on our roads? Uh, so so the, the barrier for us doing it in the past has been that the provinces said we've uh, predominantly funded the uh, the expressway. And if you put a toll on there, we want some of that money back. So now I'm seeing a different attitude from the from the province and the premier. So I suspect that uh, we'll have another second look at that. We did deal that deal with that earlier in the term, and it was rejected. But uh, there's no reason why we can't have a look it was at rejected by the province, not by council. Well, actually, it was rejected by council as well, uh, because there's a there's a cost to doing this. So to be able to collect a toll, you have to put a lot of hardware in place. That's expensive. And so there wasn't really a justifiable case based on the scenario of, of just tolling trucks. 
so, um, and I think that's the wise step to take because trucks are the ones that are most damaging to our roads. They're the ones that actually cause us to rebuild those roads more often than we should otherwise have to, uh, but they're also important uh, players in terms of how we move goods. So there's always that balancing effect. But I, I think it's worth a second look, and we'll certainly do that. Uh, 645-3221, star 9900. Uh, Frank is on email as well. Uh, wants to know if a final decision has been made about the cat licensing issue. <laughs> uh, no, we, we had a great debate, but didn't, uh, didn't get anywhere. So I've asked uh, four councillors uh, and myself to come together and start looking at uh, what a move forward position on this thing. The worst scenario, in my view, is to do nothing at all. I don't think that uh, that helps the cat population. It doesn't help uh, the community at large. It doesn't help, uh, you know, our SPCA that are euthanizing cats on a regular basis, on an ongoing basis, day in and day out. So we need to we need to control that feral cat population somehow, and we need to be able to pull the resources together to do that. So I've asked four councillors to come together. Uh, we're going to meet uh, in the next couple of weeks, start talking about what's what's the move forward position here if you know some are opposed some are some are for uh clearly that uh, we were split when council dealt with this uh, 50 50 so it was a no go uh so i'm hopeful that if we can come together and get more information on the table that we'll come up with a position that uh, everyone can be satisfied with a uh, lot of issues to cover here as uh, we get towards year end i guess you just got just about finished with meetings for the year now aren't you uh we're, we're actually we're not uh we're probably going right till the about the the 22nd i think so uh last council meeting though is this coming wednesday yeah for the that's year. what i was yeah. referring to yep. uh where are you in the budget process i mean you know we, we keep hearing about a pot- potential and it's only a potential <laughs> at this stage six percent tax increase right round, which is unpalatable obviously sure. but it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of wiggle room for you guys yeah, but I don't think it's not going to be six percent. So I'm uh, I'm pretty confident that's not going to be the case. But uh, you know, is it going to be a little more than average? I would think probably because we're facing a number of uh, capital expenditures by virtue of the infrastructure programs that are out there. And if we want to participate in the twenty-five cent or fifty cent dollars that the province and the federal government are putting on the table, we're going to have to find some resources to do that. So our capital budget process is. Uh, we're uh, we're meeting on Friday. Uh, you know, maybe maybe able to put it to bed on Friday, but um, possibly not. And uh, and then we're uh, we're heading into the operating budget. But I'm 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 hopeful, uh, Bill, that we come up with a a reasonable number. But I I would I would ring the bell to say that's probably not going to be the very very low increases that we've seen in past years. Uh, it's been about what, 10 what's years. What's driving it now? Well, the infrastructure program uh, is uh, is driving the uh, the budget. Uh, we have some uh, tax reassessment issues that have uh, have been done by large large numbers of our corporate players that has reduced our tax loading from that that area. So, so you're, not getting, you're not getting as much money We're in. Not not getting as much money in. Uh, their re- reassessments are done through MPAC. So MPAC said, you, yes, we'll allow you, re- allow you that reassessment, and that's that's going to be a factor for you. The uh, the U.S. Steel. Uh, taxes have been deferred, and that's a, a budget pressure for us as well. And uh, and the assessment growth is actually at a point zero six. So usually we uh, we have a, have had the opportunity of having an assessment growth that's a little higher that would offset any uh, additional increases. Uh, unfortunately, this year it's uh, it's not the case. So all of those are pressures that we're going to have to deal with through the budget process. Nine zero five six four five three two two one for Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. This is the Bill Kelly Show, nine hundred CHML, and uh, we'll go to your calls. Darren, you're first up this morning. Welcome to the program, Darren. Yeah, hi guys, it's me, Darren from from Fresh. I, I know I, you. Hey, Darren. <laughs> uh, hi, Mr. Mayor. How you are you doing? Good. I want to I want to ask you a question. 
just because I'm living it right now, and I've just pulled over, uh-huh. and I remember my time when I was out in London, Ontario, and I'm getting to the point, and that is the free meters downtown, which I think is nice. Right. But I, I always wonder, as I'm circling around here, you know, all, all the streets to try and get a meter to go into the downtown, why? Do you think that these are a lot of just work people, Mr. Mayor, who are using these meters and just kind of going out and moving their car every couple hours? Did it, did, has it ever been looked at? Because I'm wondering how many people are using these free meters to shop right now. You know, I, 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 I've always just wondered about that. Well, I think, uh, Darren, thank you for that question. And you know what? It, it, it's been an issue. I don't think it's a pervasive one because most of the people that are working downtown are in uh, in monthly parking lots. If they're driving downtown, they're, they're, they, ha- they already have a monthly parking arrangement on a, on a lot somewhere, by and large. So I don't think that's a particular issue. But uh, are there, uh, you know, some, some uh, in, in, um, you know, intermittent employees that come, uh, that work uh, through the Christmas season that uh, might be employed in some of the stores there just to, to deal with the uptake? And might they, they be taking over those, some of those spots? Uh, that's very, very possible, very likely. And some of the Y members, quite frankly. So I know that, uh, you know, a number of the y, y friends that I work, that I, uh, work out with down at the uh, downtown Y, you know, often park two, three, four blocks away during the Christmas season, and uh, when the when the meters are free, they might take advantage yeah. of uh, parking a little bit closer. So yeah. it's always a it's always a, a bit of a balancing act. But I know that uh, for many people, it's a benefit. So it's a benefit on Concession Street, and I, I expect that there'll be a lot of turnover there for people that are shopping on Concession Street. It's a benefit on uh, Ottawa Street, and uh, I think it's generally it's a benefit downtown. Do some people take advantage of that? I, I suspect so, uh, but. Uh, you know, that's the nature of the beast. Every time you open up a window uh, and, you know, of affordability or, or free, uh, you know, people step into it. So we can't really monitor who does and who doesn't. Thanks, guys. I will go find a spot now. Sorry, Jerry. You, know you know what? But you're there for exercise. So if you, pl- if you, if you park two or three blocks away, you get that extra benefit. I knew you were, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I, I set myself up for that. Have a good day, guys. Hi, right, Darren. Right. Listen, by the way, the mayor's here for another 45 minutes, so you can use his spot at City Hall. <laughs> oh, great. I'll be, I, I'm going to go find it for sure. All right. Thanks a lot, Thank D. Guys. Darren Lehman, of course, uh, morning co- co-host on uh, Fresh, our uh, sister station, just down the hall from us here. How much does that cost the city every year to, to offer that free parking oh, in, in lost revenue? Yeah, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head. but I'm it's, sure it's, it's, it's in a, a staff report someplace. Yeah, is, it, it's, is it significant? Uh, it's, it's probably a hundred thousand dollars or thereabouts. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's significant, not, not insignificant. And that includes the, the downtown parkade that gets an extra benefit as well. So, you know, we, we do rely on parking revenue. We, we, uh, we anticipate that this is an investment to, to encourage people to go visit those shopping centers that, uh, don't have free parking competing with the mall parking lots that are out there. So I think there's a benefit to this, uh, you know, so I, I think it's, it's money well spent to encourage people to do that. And uh, it's good for our downtown businesses and our, our uh, BIA businesses to, uh, to participate in this. So uh, I can get the number for you. I don't have it on the top of my head, but I, I do know it's a tens of thousands of dollars. It's, it's amazing. The, the point he brought up there about, uh, you know, whether people are actually using that for shopping purposes. Because I know when the city started that, at least back in the day when I was on council anyway, some BIAs didn't want it. Uh, because they wanted that turnover. They wanted people to pay and go on. Because the problem is, of course, when it's free, are they there for an hour or are they there for eight hours? You don't know that. And and I think everybody's pretty much on side now, aren't they? Yeah, pretty much. And But 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 still an issue, though. I mean, uh, if we were to offer free parking downtown, and many people say that, you know, do that all year long, uh, then we would surely have people that are working downtown taking up those spaces. Well, and I know, then, for instance, you, you referenced you Concession Street a while ago, and I know that at first there was some reticence by that BIA for this. 
because a lot of the uh, the workers that worked at the well, it's now the Jurovinsky Hospital and the Cancer Center, which we were using street parking, right? And uh, and they were concerned about that that you know those spaces would be taken up. But I, I guess they've reconciled themselves with that. So it's but on it's, there anyway. It's it's one month of the year. Uh, it's the Christmas season. Uh, it, it's a it's a benefit to those that want to get access to some of those shops that they might not otherwise visit. And uh, you know they're competing with malls that are, that obviously have. Free parking, you know, and, and some would argue that there is really no such thing as free parking. You pay for it one way or the other, whether it's through your through the price of uh, whatever you purchase at the mall. It's paid for. It's not a it's not a free commodity, but it's helpful to uh, to to have the same kind of competitive advantage in our business. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show weekdays from nine to noon on AM nine hundred CHML. One of the more productive discussions they had at City Hall yesterday was about uh, looking at a possibility of a living wage. Now, we've talked about that on, in a conceptual basis, and uh, we've even had some business people in here that have actually adopted the policy, and uh, there's a push right now to have City Hall do that with their employees. Tom Cooper, the director for the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction, joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about that. Morning, Tom. How are you doing today? Good morning, Bill. Doing well. I was uh, I was at the GIC yesterday. I, I was I was there for four hours before our issue came up on living wage. I, I understood it went for another eight hours or so after that. So certainly felt a bit sorry for the counselors and staff who had to uh, go through that epic session. You have to pay. You have to feed the meters when you do that. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Isn't that sweet of them? Uh, which probably eliminates the deficit. I think they do that on purpose. But yeah. anyway, we digress, don't we? Uh, let's, <laughs> let's talk about this. I want, I want to talk about this policy, first of all, maybe describe it for those who maybe don't have a, a, a grasp on this, Tom. When you talk about a living wage policy, what are we talking about here? Yeah, living wage bill is uh, a calculation that's done locally. It, it's different than a minimum wage. Minimum wage is a government-legislated minimum that employers must uh, pay their employees. Living wage sets a higher standard, and uh, they're they're calculated locally based on how much it costs to live in specific communities. So, here in Hamilton, um, it is fifteen eighty five. I think you had Deirdre and a number yeah. of other guests on about a month ago talking about Hamilton's recalculated living wage, and and it really does reflect what workers need to earn at their jobs, not only to to meet those needs, uh, housing and food and utility costs transportation, et cetera, but, but also to have a little bit of an opportunity to participate in the community and have a little bit of social inclusion. Well, in, in other words, money to get by. Yeah, exactly. That's really what Certainly, it is. Yeah, and it, it, it is a no-frills calculation, so it doesn't include things like home ownership. It doesn't include uh, paying down debt. It doesn't include savings. Um, but at the end of the day, it really does reflect what uh, we think workers need to uh, need to make at their jobs in order to to live uh, live a healthy life in Hamilton there's a, the, a downside because I know there was some debate and it went on for quite some time and let, talk, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that were said in some of the presenters yesterday because it was a, a pretty active session yeah it certainly was and we had a great group of, of living wage advocates advocates from uh, from local organizations uh, to some of our living wage employers like Cake and Loaf. Uh, I believe Josie was on the show a little yep. while yeah, ago. Yeah, we had her on we the had, program. Yeah, we had uh, Dan Peace from Dominion Pattern Works, uh, who's 
also a uh, former co-chair of Mission Services in Hamilton, one of our great uh, nonprofit living wage employers. We had uh, uh, Bill, uh, Reverend Bill Mills from the Anglican Diocese, and uh, the Anglican Diocese has ensured that all of their employees are, are earning a living wage. And, and that could go right down the line to ensuring uh, custodians at local churches and, and administrative staff are earning a living wage as well. And they all spoke in glowing terms about about the importance of paying a living wage. And uh, we've We've encouraged uh, the city to step forward as well. Uh, we think it's time. We have more than 30 employers in Hamilton who've uh, made the commitment to living wage. And one of the uh, one of the other guests was uh, Dr. David Guter from McMaster University, who's been doing a survey on those living wage employers. And, and to uh, to an organization, he found they all found it had positive economic benefits. There was a strong business case for implementing living wage in Hamilton. What about the implications? Uh, the, the other side of the coin, the, the, the skeptics, Tom, will say, well, look, at you know, the city's got this huge, huge nut to crack here with you know, the, the, the budget that's coming up, and we're already yep. looking at about a 6% tax increase, and the mayor just assured us it won't be that high. But it, it's, it's not going to be the 1% or 1.5%, I don't think, that a lot of people are used to, and there's certainly not going to be a reduction. So the critics are going to say, nice idea, Tom, but just this is not the right time. How do you answer yeah. that? I understand that, and, and that issue was brought up at council yesterday as well. And they're looking at the possibility of an incremental uh, increase. But, Bill, when we're looking at the situation, there are 500 employees uh, between the municipal government, the city of Hamilton, as well as the Hamilton Public Library, who are currently not earning a living wage. And uh, looking at some of those positions, uh, um, all of them are part-time, uh, they're contractual uh, positions, and we found with the uh, growth in precarious employment uh, today, uh, workers are just finding it tremendously, tremendously difficult to, to make ends meet. So we heard from a number of people uh, who, are, who are not yet earning a living wage, who do work for the city, and, and they're facing tremendous challenges. Uh, some of them are trying to balance two or three part-time jobs to make ends meet. Uh, rents are high. We know utility costs, uh, hydro particularly costs, have been going up. We really do think that investing in employees is is just that, an important investment. And um, by bringing them up to a living wage level, you're ensuring that those workers will you know, not only receive the amount of compensation uh, that they need to live, uh, but there's going to be spin-off benefits for em- the employer as well. And in this case, it's the city. Uh, all those employers who came yesterday and talked about implementing a living wage within their own workplaces talked about uh, the benefits like uh, less absenteeism, less sick time. Uh, one of the big uh, cost savings for employers is the fact that there isn't the turnover. And when people are feeling valued, when they're earning what what they deserve at their jobs, they're not uh, as likely to move on. And, and, and so you don't have those retraining costs. And so I think there would be significant savings to be found. And again, we're looking at a city with a very significant budget. It's a, it's a billion dollar, more than a billion dollar annual budget. Um, this cost is going to be a million dollars. And yes, that is high, but we're talking about 500 employees who would be brought up. I, I, I think that's a, a pretty worthy investment. And I think the other thing, it hasn't really been brought up, but the, the, elephant in the room is that we also have a number of people at the city of Hamilton 
uh, who are earning a very good salary. There's more than 800 people on the Sunshine List who are, who are working for the city of Hamilton. And I think we need to balance things out. We need to ensure that uh, we don't have people who are being too, paid too high and people who are not being paid too low. And I think if, if by bringing in a living wage policy, we'll ensure that the people at the very bottom who are earning the least uh, will at least have a little bit more disposable income so they can pay rent, buy food, and, and meet their basic needs. Let's talk about the other cost of, of you know, because I know that some of the councillors, you know, trying to be, you know, watchdogs for the taxpayers' dollar, are going to say, "Well, this is not the right time." But what's the cost of not doing it? And let, let's talk about that for just a couple of minutes. And I, I, and I, specifically the, the city employees that you referred to. But I mean, let's face it; even in the broader discussion uh, w- with other employers that are listening right now. Uh, you mentioned that a lot of these jobs are, are part-time wages. A lot of them, most of them, don't pay benefits. Probably none of them do, really. Yeah. So uh, somebody has a toothache. I mean, where are they going to go? They have to pay the dental bill. And on that, you know, what if they need prescriptions for something for their kids or for themselves? They have to pay that out of their pocket too. And they're doing this with with very little money. And they don't have drug plans, of course, unless they have special insurance and probably can't afford to do that either. How many of them yeah. are using food banks because they can't afford to get groceries because of the jobs that they're working on right now? I mean, there's a cost to not doing this, isn't there? Oh, there's a huge cost, especially with health. And uh, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of looking at uh, some of the uh, some of the ramifications, not just for the workers themselves, but their family members too. So, you know, is it worth my while to to go and uh, buy a coffee at a living wage coffee shop if I know the person on the other end of the counter is able to go home and purchase medication for for a sick child? I I, I think there's a value in doing that. It's not only a value, there's there's cost savings as well because we know uh, potentially uh, there could be huge uh, huge costs to the healthcare system if if we're not willing to ensure that people are are earning enough that they can uh, buy preventative medication and, and stay healthy. So you're absolutely right. We we've seen time and time again uh, when engaging living wage employers and looking at the evidence, not just here in Hamilton, not just across Canada, but really. Uh, worldwide, um, living wage has been a, a movement in the United States for about 20 years, uh, more than 160 jurisdictions and, and some really big cities, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, New York, have, have all adopted living wage policies. And, and they do see it as an important investment. One of the uh, presenters yesterday, uh, David Guter from McMaster University, was talking about the fact that a lot of the jurisdictions in the United States that have adopted living wage policies are actually those red states, those typically Republican jurisdictions, uh, where you might not immediately associate uh, progressive labor policies, but they do it because there is those cost savings, and, and they see the value in ensuring that people are earning enough to meet their basic needs, and then, and then the costs aren't uh, aren't turned over to, to society later on. Well, look, let's be realistic about this, too. The people that are going to be affected positively, we hope, if they're going to adopt a policy like this, Tom, they're not going to start putting the money in offshore accounts in the Cayman Islands. I mean, you know, they're going to spend yeah. it here in the community. They're going to buy groceries. They're going to pay rent. They're going to, you know, go shopping. They're going to buy clothing. I mean, it's, it comes right back into the community, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And it was interesting uh, the other day when uh, Glenn Norton, the city's new economic development uh, chief, uh, was interviewed, I, b- I believe, by Andrew Dreschel in The Spectator. He he referenced living wages as something that Hamilton should be striving for. And 
he, I think he recognizes, as, as does uh, Jason Thorne and, and others, that we really uh, do need to start, I, I think, branding Hamilton as a living wage community. And, and those, those living wage communities are desirable for new businesses because when living wages are paid, uh, employers know instinctively that uh, the, those communities are healthier, uh, people have more disposable income. Um, and if, uh, if living wages are paid, that ensures uh, local businesses are going are going to see some results from that because you're absolutely right. They're not you know taking it offshore. They're spending it in the community, and uh, maybe going down to to the local coffee shop, going to a local grocery store, and that's a little bit of extra money that's regenerated in the community and and helping to create job growth. So it's it's a good news story for for economic development certainly. And I understand the cost is when you look at a million dollars, it's significant. But like I say, I, and I guess staff's going to come back with some of these numbers of the cost of not doing it and, and the implications of that as well. And, and you know, when we had Josie in here from Cake and Loaf, because she's a, a living wage employer now, uh, and so maybe it costs an extra nickel or something for a muffin. Is that really such a big deal to a customer to know that that it's to help pay a decent wage for the person that's that's serving them at the restaurant or at the store or wherever the the, the living wage employer is, is is actually doing business right now? It's 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 insignificant to the customer and to and to the taxpayer really, as opposed to the you know the the benefit that's going to be derived from that. Yeah, and it makes a huge difference to the employees. And and after adopting living wage, Cake and Loaf actually hired nine new employees, and they opened up their new uh, their new store in the in the farmers market. And for them, it's 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 been a very positive economic story. And, and we've heard the same from a, from our other living wage employers who've signed on, particularly those in the private sector. It's a little bit different story, of course. And in, in nonprofit organizations, they do it for a little bit of a different reason. Um, so we have Good Shepherd Center, we have Mission Services, Neighbor to Neighbor, uh, St. Leonard Society. They're, they're yeah, but you're all, singing, you're you're preaching to the choir with those people because are, many, of those, it, many of those many of those agencies, Tom's value. Yeah, and yeah. but they're. They're, and they understand it because they work with some of these people that are, are, you know, that are not working for the decent wages right now. They're the ones that see people go to food banks. They're the ones that see other people that are, are, are suffering and struggling to try to make ends meet. So, I mean, they, have, they understand the value of this idea. They do indeed. And I think the city is, is seeing the value in it as well. And, you know, the city has tremendous leverage, uh, certainly not just with their own employees. Uh, and, and that's very important. I think that's the first step. I think down the road, we also want the city to look at a living wage procurement policy. And that means businesses that the city contracts with should also be having conversations about living wage. And they've done this in other places. Um, so I referenced New York earlier. When Mayor de Blasio in, in New York uh, created a living wage policy, he said any business uh, that contracts with the city of New York has to pay their employees a living wage. That had the immediate effect of lifting 18,000 New Yorkers out of poverty. And it was certainly, I think, a powerful statement about uh, the economic leverage that a municipal government, uh, a local government, can have. And I think down the road, uh, as the provincial government starts to see more and more communities signing on to the living wage initiative, and uh, we're not the first here in Hamilton to do this. Uh, city of Cambridge uh, did uh, signed a living wage declaration about a year ago. Um, but I see more and more um, 
interest in the living wage idea uh, from the city of Toronto. I was just up in Sudbury on Monday morning talking to the group up there about living wage. There is, uh, I, I think we're going to see a strong movement, uh, really a grassroots movement led by local governments and, and local employers to tell the provincial government, look, the minimum wage isn't cutting it. Uh, minimum wage still leaves people experiencing poverty, even if they're working 40 hours a week. Um, let's set a higher standard. Let's implement a living wage and, and pay people what, what they need to live on. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. The city's economic development uh, chief is warning city council against a proposal that would see film fees for the movie shot in Hamilton increasing. Now, this is a, an interesting industry. Uh, you know, we, we see a lot of these things around all the time, and I know there's been some grief from time to time from some areas of the city saying, well, they're a big pain in the you-know-what, and they're an economic driver, and there are some numbers to substantiate that. So, I mean, is is council biting their the hand that's feeding them or one of the hands that's feeding them by suggesting that they're going to increase the fees? Let's bring uh, Marvin Ryder into the discussion, of course, from the DeGroote School of Business over at McMaster University. Hey, Marvin, how you doing today? I'm fine, thank you, Bill. Yeah, you, you've seen these crews around town, I, I, I guess, a number of times, haven't you? And I'm ready for my close-up. <laughs> Whatever you say, Ms. Desmond, That's but go right. ahead. I'm ready anytime, anytime. Let, let, let's talk about this from an economic standpoint, yeah. and, and, and then we can get into the practicality or non-practicality of this. Uh, this, as these guys were told yesterday, city councilors were told yesterday, that this, in, in big terms, attracts a lot of money, and they spend a lot of money when they come here. So I'm going to say yes, although uh, we always have to keep some numbers in perspective. So yeah. last year in Hamilton, the direct spending by film and television companies in Hamilton was $8.4 million. Now, that's not trivial. That would be roughly the economic impact of sort of one Tiger Cat game or several of the Bulldogs playing. It certainly would represent maybe one day, two days of activity at uh, Hamilton Health Sciences, uh, if it's the two hospitals together, it might just be one day. So, you know, it's good, it's not great, but it's good. And what you do the math on all this, you figure out that movies were spending something like $50,000 in Hamilton for every day they shoot, and that's buying sandwiches, buying food. You know, you're, you're shooting something, and suddenly you need to have an actor wear a coat or a pair of sunglasses or something, and you haven't got it in the truck. You rush to the nearest store and you buy it. So they do cause economic activity. Now, Hamilton is known as a friendly city for movie shoots, meaning that we cooperate. If we have to reroute some traffic for a day, we'll do that. If we have to close a street off for an hour or two, we'll do that. You know, if we want to film early in the morning or late at night to get just the right look, we'll help you do those things. And, and that goes a long way. Now, we do have a fee that we charge. Last year, 2015, that fee was $30.00 for everyone who wanted to shoot a movie or TV here, and it went up. It nearly doubled to $56. Now, when you start doing the math, you say, well, Marvin, if they spend $50,000 here, what's the difference between 30 and 56 It gets lost in the change. And I, on one hand, I agree. You know, if you were to double it again and make it $100, it's it's not very much money for them. It would get lost in the change of the shoot. But we are also one of the few cities today that charge any fee at all. Vancouver is the granddaddy of all these movie-making and television-making uh, places. They do more than 4,000. We joke that uh, Vancouver is Hollywood North. They do 4,000 movie and, and uh, television productions a year, and they charge $150. So you start doing the math, 4,000 at 150 bucks a piece. That's $600,000 they generate from that. 
And I can see where the counselors are coming from, Bill, because although this isn't direct on this issue, as we're dealing with this budget for 2017, and they're looking at increasing taxes by maybe 4 or 5 or 6%, Every little dollar they can find from somewhere to generate some revenue can offset that increase. I understand why they're looking at it, but I just don't think the numbers are there to be any significant difference one way or another. Well, sure, and, and you know, comparing Hamilton to the Vancouver situation is, is really kind of apples and oranges, isn't it? I mean, because a lot of the, the business that's done in Vancouver, the movie shoots and television shows, are there on a permanent basis. Uh, in other words, there are TV shows that film all their stuff there, just like there is in Toronto. Uh, you know, the, the, the show that a lot of people watch, you know, Suits is, is done in Toronto. So that, that that's guaranteed income. Ours are all one-offs for the most part, except for a couple of them, like the, the Good Witch, which I know that does a lot of shooting down around Lock Street. Uh, Murdoch Mysteries is here two or three times a, a year, I guess, but uh, only for a day or two. So the question I've got here and, and the concern I've got, and I think it was raised by Jason Thorne, the manager uh, for economic development as well, Marvin, is if you raise this fee, and they're going to say, you know what, we don't really need to pay that. We can go someplace else where we don't get any fee at all, and maybe it's even a better location. And once they're gone, they don't often come back. Yeah, and this this is the concern, Bill. You know, Hamilton, uh, one of the things I love about Hamilton is that it can fill in for almost anything. It can fill in at times for a big city if you need a skyscraper in the background, and if you need something gritty and industrial or even go back in time, why Murdoch Mysteries fills here, films here is that we have some wonderful old architecture, Victorian architecture that cleans up, shines up really nice on television. But the concern is there are other cities that can do this. I'd be hard-pressed to tell you that you couldn't find similar locations, let's say in Burlington or in Brantford or in Guelph or in Cambridge. Uh, and if you make it too unattractive, they're equidistant from that base of operation known as Toronto. We might just go explore there. So it is a very dangerous little game here. We want to keep as much economic activity as possible in the community. Yes, we want to offset some of the costs of having those people here. But if we do too much, we're going to kill that golden goose. And, and I think since we just raised the permits, from last year to this year, we almost doubled the price from $30 to 56 I'm not sure another permit raise immediately is a good thing. Maybe a couple years down the road, see how the industry is doing, see what the economic conditions are. But right now, I think that will get people's attention very quickly. I wanted to get some clarity on something else, and because and I, I, I did talk with uh, Sue Monarch when she was still working for that department uh, with uh, Tourism Hamilton uh, for the city for many, many years. Uh, is is when they do have to make some accommodations, whether it's uh, closures of streets, etc. Uh, my understanding is the movie company pays for that. Yes. So w when we say there's an average spend of fifty thousand, there are some movies and TV shows that can come here and film with virtually no disruption of anything. They get in and out of town very quickly. Maybe they only spend two or three thousand dollars or five thousand uh, dollars. You might remember uh, the movie The Hulk filmed here in Hamilton. Oh yeah, the original Hulk with the. Uh, Ang Lee directed, filmed in Hamilton here. I yeah, guess. with Ed Norton was the whole. Ed yeah. Norton, maybe that was a decade ago now. Edward Norton, yeah. But they they actually built a false facade along a, a section of King Street one day, and then two days later they had demolished it, and it was flaming for something else. And this was all a, a parking lot that they converted into this false facade. Well, they would have spent you know hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that. So it varies. And uh, there was another movie that I believe it was Sylvester Stallone was in, in which Gore Park was shut down, and there were cars that were overturned. Uh, clearly, something had been on a rampage, and there were what have you. And that, that did cause disruption to things, but, as you say, they pay for those extra disruptions. And so 
I, you know, I, again, I get where city council is coming from. I want to be able to turn to constituents and say, I have looked under every rock to find every last dime of revenue before I come to you asking you for a tax hike. I get that. I understand that. But there are times where you can be penny-wise and pound-foolish. Yes, I can squeeze a little more out of this, but then if those productions go somewhere else, there will be catering companies, there will be uh, lighting companies, there will be other sorts of companies that make a nice living supporting these productions that suddenly won't be able to do that anymore. Yeah, it was a Steven Seagal movie, not uh, Sylvester oh. Stallone. I know the one you're referring to, because I, I, I remember watching it, and uh, I knew they were filming it, and the, the car chase scene. I thought, there's, there's the Tim Hortons at Houston and, and King yeah. uh, going right by there. And, and the, uh, the Hulk movie, of course, was done overnight. Um, and they did close down parts of Main Street for that uh, vehicular traffic. But like I say, it's not costing the city anything uh, because they don't have to pay for these things. The movie companies pay for those uh, ex- uh, extracurricular activities and, and the cost involving the policing and everything else. So I, I, I guess my question is why are they charging anything at all? And, and to do it again after just raising it, it, it looks like nothing more than a tax grab here. Right. So, again, in fairness, these movies don't happen by accident, and there is what's called a film liaison office within the Economic Development Department, and it would have one full-time staff person and one half-time support person. So let's, let's be generous and say the full-time person gets paid, let's say, $60,000, the half-time person maybe another 20000 and some support for that. Maybe there's a whole $100,000 to operate the budget. Well, the councillors are saying, "Wait a minute, we're we're generating we're generating fees of thirteen thousand, but we're spending a hundred thousand on the office. Hmm, maybe maybe that's not a good return on our investment." Now, I would point out, much much like some other things we have, like Cops Coliseum and Hamilton Place. Yes, you may have to subsidize it to some extent, but think then of the greater benefits. That $8.4 million is what we know as direct spending. Then those people you pay the money to do indirect spending. Movies in Hamilton generate something on the order of $25, $30 million of economic activity every year. That's a pretty good return on an investment of one and a half staff people and a little bit of support cost. Again, to then take the $13,000 subsidy and let's say you make it 26000 Okay, you still haven't recovered the cost of the office, but then if you drive half the productions away, the return on the investment goes down because now you're only getting $15 million return on investment. I I just think if they had not done it for a number of years, this might be the year to do it. Given that they did it for 2016, I'd, I'd just let it go for a year or two and revisit this you know, three years down the road or two years down the road. Because I, I do know, cause in the past I have talked to some of these production companies, or representatives of, of some of them anyway, and uh, and i got to tell you, I mean, you know, I saw one of the comments from one of the counselors that said, well, some of these are multi-million dollar productions, 50 bucks is not adequate. How much they're spending on the movie is none of their damn business. It's it's the it's the impact that it's having here on Hamilton. Well, and as you, you might know, know, whether it's Martin Scorsese or whether it's yeah. some little independent guy who's living on a shoestring to try to make a movie, it doesn't much matter. It's not costing the city anything, and you derive that benefit from it. And, and, and it, 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 there's... Over and above, we've talked dollars on this. What about the public relations idea of this and, and the, the buzz within the movie industry itself to say, hey, that's a pretty good place to go and work. Uh, that's a friendly city, as you mentioned. That, that kind of buzz, you can't buy that sort of publicity. That's right. Well, you know, I, I, I get the idea, again, these multi-million dollar budgets. So a film spends $50 million on creating the film or $100 million on the film. There are about three big costs of that. The first is the talent cost. So they're paying... Whoever it is, the big star, uh, uh, Channing Tatum or, or uh, uh, Ben Affleck or something, $15, 20000000 million just for his role. 
uh, so it's really not a hundred million dollars in nickel and dime costs. You know, the cost of catering, the cost of costumes is a handful for some big name talent director stars. Then the other big cost is computer generated effects, and we have another industry here in Hamilton that does that. Uh, computer generated effects, whether it be for video games or for television shows or for movies. Now we don't include this in the eight point four million dollars because it's not the cost of shooting; it's what they call post production after you have filmed something. Then you go and you tidy it up, you clean it up, you add your special effects, whatever it happens to be. We have another healthy aspect. And, and that's why, again, I think as Hamilton is beginning to become known outside of Toronto as an arts-based community with so many different artistic endeavors, music on one hand, we've had that discussion in economic development about rebranding Hamilton as a music city, but it's also known as an artistic city and a film-friendly city. I, I think there are benefits for this down the road. So uh, yes, go to the, go to the public and say you've looked at every last thing, you've considered this, but the pros do not outweigh the cons. Let's just pass on this for this year. That thirteen thousand, another thirteen thousand, it just isn't going to make enough of a difference. What about the employment opportunities here as well? I mean, you know, if if, if somebody is in town making a movie, and you know, this, we've seen some big stars around here. Donald Sutherland was here just a little while ago. We talked about some of the other folks. But there are local people that benefit from this too, Marvin. I, I can give you one example I know for a fact. I, there's a physical therapist I know that actually gets hired by these companies because most of these actors need to, uh, a massage or they you know right. hurt their arm or something like that. Anyway, and, 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 and what about caterers? I mean, on and on it goes. Those are all people that benefit from this industry. The council doesn't seem to be taking into consideration here. Well, the fact that we have a film liaison office also says that they are working uh, to not only liaise with production companies, but encourage some of them to have their own office. I mean, if we've had, I believe last year we had a total of 570 uh, $30 permits issued for movies and TV shows. The biggest ones were 100 big movies, but there were lots of little TV shows. I think what they're trying to do is encourage some of them. Why don't you just set up shop here? Why don't you just create your own little base of operations here? You've seen how friendly we are, and that's what they're working at. They're trying to say to people, you don't have to have your productions based in Toronto. You can base them in Hamilton and take advantage of the same gold horseshoe. At the same time, they're trying to make that argument that we are a great place to locate a business. We then come along and nickel and dime on a fee. I'm, I'm just not sure that's sending the right signal. But, again, I know, I know exactly where they're coming from. They want to be able to say they've looked. Okay, you've looked. There's nothing here to be found. Yeah, well, listen, if they're looking for ideas to save money, I can give them a long list before they start getting to this Let's something to like cats, this. Bill. Let's go back and license those cats. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> uh, we could trim budgets uh, for administration exactly. uh, at City Hall. I mean, you know, the, I mean, for God's, when I worked down there, everybody had one administration. Now they, they all have their own offices, for heaven's sakes, and, and staff upon staff upon staff. Those are things we can talk about. I, I just think, I'm not saying this is a cash cow for them, because it's certainly not, no. but I can remember having discussions years ago with those people in economic development and with Tourism Hamilton say, boy, I wish we could attract more of these sorts of things to Hamilton. Now they're doing it, and they're saying, well, let's cash in on it. Well, that's it's it's not the way this is supposed to work, and, and I really think that they're going to run the risk of, of turning away some of these businesses, and it took them this long to try to attract this, and there's buzz going around. Who was the director, Marvin, that was tweeting? He was I, His name escapes me. Uh, an Italian director that was in town oh, here. And he, yeah, 
Yes, yes, I know who you're talking about. Um, you can't, it can't come to me on the spur of the moment either. But he was tweeting, and, yeah. and, and you know, however, 10,000 followers that he has yeah. saying, this is a great city, you should all come here, not just to work, but to come and look at this place. Yes, yes, well, well you remember, uh, uh, was it Jerry Seinfeld that went up on the mountain yeah. to eat at a little little place, because uh, he likes to eat at little places. They're discovering that there is a nice urban vibe to Hamilton. Bill, I, again, I want to say, uh, I, I'm not trying to sound like I'm supporting city councilors, but I used to serve on the thing called the HECFI board. I remember. That, that was Hamilton Place Cops Coliseum, and you'd have a concert, let's say Britney Spears came to town, and the total revenues that night might have been eight, nine million dollars from the concert, and all we, the city of Hamilton, got out of it was the rental for Cops Coliseum and the reimbursement for some staff, and they'd say, why can't we get more of that money into our pockets? It's the same frustration they have with McMaster, Mohawk, Hamilton Health Sciences. They don't get much money directly out of it, and I, so I understand where you're coming from with the tax base, but it's more than the tax base. It is creating employment. It is creating activity. It is creating a place that's a great place to live. Remember our motto, we want Hamilton to be a great place to raise a child, best place in Canada to raise a child. These different features add together to do this. So although it doesn't accomplish something directly in the tax base, it accomplishes things on so many other levels. Again, just be careful that you don't kill the cow here. You could have a very fiscally prudent decision that could then really uh, uh, damage the culture of this city. Uh, Guillermo del Toro. That's there who it was. Yeah. Uh, that's, that, that's great when listeners jump right in here. Uh, thanks to uh, Casey for uh, firing that off to me uh, in the conversation. And but and again, that's that sort of publicity. We, we were watching the other night, the family watching one of those uh, cheesy Christmas movies. On, I forget which one of the networks it was. And it was Dundas. I, I, you know, they don't say that in there, but I said that's. I know that that's done. That's Main Street. That's King Street and Dundas. And we've seen some of those uh, in others as well. Now, now maybe somebody that's watching that in Dubuque, Iowa, doesn't know that. But I mean, people in the industry do. And and I just think all it takes is is, is if uh, Mr. Del Toro had been tweeting, "Hey, this place is a, a a garbage pit. Don't ever bother coming here." We'd be up and down and, and saying, "Well, that, you know, this how this is killing us." Yeah, how yeah. dare he? Yeah. Killing economic development and tourism. Instead, we get a positive vibe like this, and we're going to say, "Well, let's uh, let's nickel and dime them for a little bit more." I I really think it's very very short sighted. And I I look at I'm a taxpayer too, and I. You know, I, I want these guys to find efficiencies, but not at all cost. And and you know, the old idea, the mantra here is to try to attract and retain businesses, not to turn them away. And I think that's what they may end up doing here. Yeah, so I, just another quick example, Bill. There's a television series that's just debuted this year called Designated Survivor. It's filmed in Toronto. Yeah. Keeper Sutherland stars as the president. It's had some good vibe. Well, they've filmed in Hamilton. They have used Hamilton. Now, they haven't used Hamilton to reproduce the White House. They have other ways to do that. But what they've been trying to do is, is some of the, um, say, um, warehouse scenes, what have you, they've used in Hamilton. And Glenn Norton, who's the new economic development person, one of his wish lists, well, I think he actually calls it one of his stretch objectives, is to actually see a, a um, movie um, studio complex here in Hamilton in the warehouse area in that north end, yep. some of those abandoned warehouses. You take a big empty box and you can turn it into whatever you want to inside of that, creating stages for televisions and movies. We don't have a permanent studio in Hamilton yet, but that's on his wish list. This kind of a thing would make that much harder for him to accomplish. Well, because I know that one of the reasons that, uh, that Hamilton has been getting a lot more of these things is because uh, Toronto is getting to be expensive. Yep. And, and, and a lot of those companies that were always using Toronto are now looking beyond, and they're here. And, uh, and I don't want to make the same mistake Toronto did, where they're going to say, well, I guess we're moving on to someplace else now. 
No, exactly, Bill. And we have that opportunity, I think, much like with the port. Toronto decided they didn't really want an active port, so they made it harder and harder for ships and things to go there. That benefited Hamilton. Now we have the most active port on Lake Ontario by far over any other place. Here's another opportunity for us. If Toronto is going to be short-sighted about that industry or assume that because they are Toronto, they'll come regardless, here's a chance for us to position ourselves Again, I understand the tax of prudence, fiscal prudence here, but the amount of money is so small. I'll just leave it where it is for a couple of years. Let's revisit it when the industry gets The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.